Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of HIALI, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting-edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to HIALI Business Steps Up. This, as you know, is a monthly piece of work where we're streaming and really bringing to you uh, leaders that really are doing some dramatically different things, very innovative and collaborative through COVID and beyond. So excited to say we have with us today, Stuart Almer. He is the president and CEO of Gerwin. And, you know, before we, um, I talked to Stuart, you know, one of the things that I've seen through this is it's amazing that it's been a year actually to date, last Tuesday, where we saw the first case of COVID. And um, absolutely amazing to see that the business community at large has been so successful in just pivoting so quickly in many of you repurposing your buildings uh, to help us with personal protection equipment, guidance as it relates to access and how to, how to get that capital. So we wanna congratulate all of you, right? We're Long Island strong. Many of you have told me that you see the light at the end of the tunnel with these vaccines, so we know we will get through this. And again, we're delighted to be highlighting Stuart today because as you look at nursing homes and that industry, they've been hit as we know, very, very hard. So welcome, Stuart. Really delighted to see you this afternoon. Great. Thank you, Terry. Great to be here as well and support HIA and the great work you folks do. Oh, thanks. So let's start and talk a little bit about, you know, I know Gerwin started, I believe, as a kind of a, a mom and pop nursing home, right? Back way back, way, way back when. So, so tell us about its history. Sure. So we opened in 1988, and we opened initially as a 300-bed skilled nursing facility, not really knowing at that time that we would ultimately develop into uh, a full continuum of care. Uh, And that continuum is significant in terms of our growth in a relatively short history. So just to open our, our skilled nursing facility, which is really our flagship operation, is a 460-bed nursing home where we offer short-term rehab, long-term care, and a whole plethora of services. We offer services such as memory care, ventilator-dependent care, respiratory care, hospice and palliative care. We even have an advanced care unit where we are monitoring residents on a 24-7 basis um, with a bracelet technology and we're talking about, we're talking about telemedicine and technology, um, where we know what residents are experiencing in terms of any symptoms and issues on a 24-7 basis. We have the telemedicine program, which I will speak to, on-site dialysis and infusion therapy. There's basically nothing that we don't do in terms of long-term care. That's great. That's great. I, I had no idea that you had such, such a plethora of of services there. Although I have to tell you that I have known people that have had their um, parents in there as well as people who have had to do some rehab and they only say great things about it. So you, you told me before, before we went on air that you've been there about six years. So tell us a little bit about 
your journey. And you've been, but you've been in this industry for quite a while, am I correct? Yes. So r- roughly the first half of my career was spent in acute care, having worked at several hospitals, hospital systems, large facilities for the most part. Uh, I was fortunate in that I pursued having my nursing home license early in my career, which allowed me to make the change to long-term care. So really the first half of my career was acute care, the latter half in post-acute care. The difference and, and the fun of being on this side is you get to know the residents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more like a family in terms of what we do. And that's one of the themes I'd also want to touch upon today, how warm and compassionate our staff is in particular and in caring for loved ones here. Um, we've done a great job. We've been able to achieve five-star status, which is not easy to accomplish. Um, we're five stars overall. And also in the quality portion of the five-star criteria, we're also at a five. So we work very hard at that. We enjoy being a center of excellence and really a provider of all. And even some programs I haven't mentioned yet, we have two adult daycare programs. We have um, two home care agencies. So our reach is great. It's into communities. And one positive thing is that all of the services that we have one serves to provide service to another. So we stay close to our mission and what we develop. We have an assisted living facility on campus that is 201 apartments, and we're looking to create studio apartments once we have final approval, and we'll grow to 210 ultimately. But we have great growth plans. The Gerwin campus in Comac is 34 acres in size. We began constructing just recently an independent housing complex on campus that will bring in 129 residential housing units on campus will be known as what's called a life plan community so folks will live here should they ever need the services of assisted living the nursing home or anything else we provide they will have access to that so with our board and very strong community support we've been developing since the 1980s a full continuum of care yeah, that, that is wonderful. I, you know, I will tell you, Stuart, that yesterday we had our economic summit and we spoke about development on Long Island and what we believe within the next five and even to 10 years, what Long Island will look like. And as you know, Long Island has a very high percentage of seniors, right? And so what a wonderful opportunity for them to be able to. I had no idea that you were going to have apartments there. That's wonderful. And uh, our latest and greatest, uh, and even during the pandemic, we were able to stay the course. We acquired another skilled nursing facility just 15 minutes east of Gerwin in Holtzville. It's exit 63 off the Long Island Expressway for those who are locals. Um, This is a facility that's a nonprofit like Gerwin, and they've had their share of concerns and had reached out a couple of years ago. And thankfully, due to significant state support, uh, we've been able to acquire Ireland. And about two months ago, Ireland Nursing and Rehab is part of the Gerwin healthcare system. So now that community, Holtzville um, and surrounding towns are now receiving the same services they would receive here at Gerwin. And it's also allowed us during the pandemic to redirect patients as needed when we're in gridlock due to requirements due to, due to COVID. So, um, this has really shown a whole different outreach for us. And this is good for Long Island that we were able to do this. 
and we're seeing good outcomes as a result. Yeah, that's wonderful. So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like, Stuart, internally. When I say internally, how many, basically, how many employees do you have? Because to run facilities like that, you, you have to have a massive amount, I would think, a massive amount of staff. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. So now with the addition of Island Rehab, we now have roughly 1,400 staff. Wow. Roughly 800 of the 1,400 work in our nursing home, the center here alone. So we're a very large employer. Uh, COVID has you know, contributed many challenges to us. Staff testing twice a week. So we're testing, we're running about a thousand tests a week that we pay for um, to ensure the safety of the residents and staff. So it's just one of the many, many challenges, you know, that we've had that I can speak to. But when you talk about size, that's, right. that's how we're very heavily impacted. Yeah. Wow. So let's, let's talk about that through COVID. As we said, you know, no one knew. I mean, before we went on our air, we talked a little bit about, you know, as I talk to CEOs and our members, many of us have felt the same that when this first hit last March, who knew, right? We thought maybe it would be two weeks and then we'd be back to whatever normal was normal. And look at us now, over a year later. So, so talk to me about you know, what that looked like in a nursing type facility. What were some of the challenges? And I know there were many of them, Stuart, that, that you needed to overcome. So first of all, little more than a year ago, we saw what was happening out in Seattle and in California. So we knew something was on the way. We knew it could potentially reach us. If you're in healthcare and you run a business like this, especially a large business, you have to stay attuned to what's going on in terms of public health or public and social issues because they have a way of penetrating your environment. And this is exactly what we could see coming. So looking back then, uh, I saw an immediate need that we need to procure as much PPE as possible because we knew that was going to certainly be, be a, great, uh, a great need and maybe scarce. So I recall you know, instructing the team, let's acquire as much as we can. It doesn't go to waste. This is a cash flow issue. Let's get in what we can. Uh, we can manage it. Let's begin to talk about uh, staffing. Let's talk about potentially isolation. Um, all of the issues that we have to start to talk about, even visitation. So we began having these immediate discussions and putting plans in place as best we can, a lot we learned as we went along. Right. Um, one of the things we did early on that was a great success was we actually purchased movable panels that our engineering team could move based upon the spread of COVID to best contain it. So if we had three residents on isolation with COVID and we needed room for up to eight, we could move these paneled walls. It sounds simple, but it was effective. Right. Um, Certainly the PPE procurement, that was rough because there was not enough available for facilities, certainly not nationwide. And then the cost per item became prohibitive. You know, we went from paying pennies per item to dollars per item. So you can imagine the concern about the economics. Having done this a long time, um, we deal with emergencies. You know, I've been through blizzards and power failures and even near plane crashes and having to deal with extreme situations. The difference about this one compared to all others is that this never ends. Right. 
you know, when you're in a crisis, you kind of know, you know, intuitively, you know, in a day this will pass, we'll recover. Um, we'll go through insurance, whatever you have to do, you know, in a week, this will pass, or we'll deal with the media problems. Um, this has not ended for us. We have a long road ahead. The difference in this industry compared to food, airline, and hotel, yes, they've all been devastated financially. No question. People are not flying, dining, and hoteling as they did before. Um, but we have a reputational issue in long-term care. That's different. Right. Those other industries don't have that. So we're going to have to do a very strong job of convincing the community, families, others, to have confidence in us, yeah. to know that we're doing everything we can to keep people safe in this awful, uh, dealing with this awful insidious disease. Because I can tell you the great work that's been done. We have every safeguard in place, but it does not guarantee no cases and, and no deaths. It's yeah. just yeah. unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. So, I mean, again, you talk to us about, you, you talk about reputation, which is key. Talk to us about how you are handling the emotional needs of families that now can't come in and see a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle who's aging, who, you know, many of these people, they're at the end of their lives, right? So um, talk to us about that. Sure. So we've instituted a program that, as best we can, is to help families in some ways be and spend time with their loved ones. One is we do regular video calls between family members you know, on a schedule with residents. Um, we'll encourage on certain campaigns, we'll encourage families to send in a video of their own. We'll show them to their loved one. Um, that has been very helpful. We do that on holidays. We do that even when it's not holidays. Right. We have um, drive-by visits when we can so that safely one resident at a time can be brought down to an area in the building, but with open air to the outside, um, and then safely apart with, uh, with a barrier, um, a, a family can drive up, jump out of the car, talk on a microphone 10, 15 feet away from their loved one. It does help. I'm happy to disclose, my father's a resident here. My father's been living here for over two years. I jump in the car on my schedule too, and I drive around the back, and that's what I see him too. Yeah. Out of respect to the no visitation, I don't go and visit with him either. And it's difficult. And people say, why don't you go see him? And it's, it's not the right thing. Right. So I enjoy those car visits. Uh, I do those video calls with him as well. Um, it helps. Nothing like holding, hugging your loved one. Um, no one ever could have imagined we'd still be in this situation today over a year later. Right. But we are. It's, uh, I describe it as a crisis that never ends. Right, right. So do you, do you foresee keeping a lot of those new innovative systems that you have created? And, and let me tell you why I ask, because, you know, from a business model, at least for us, as you know, we, we did a lot of live events and we will be moving to by probably, if not the fall, the beginning of next year, some sort of hybrid model, because we've learned a lot of lessons, right, about technology and about remote work and so how does that apply to what you're doing i could see you keeping the videos that's why i'm even asking the question well certainly telemedicine has grown out of out of the situation right. we particularly have embraced this in a significant way 
And I believe that's, that's here to stay. Um, also, before COVID, we were always dealing with issues of infections, issues of isolation. We've always dealt with the flu, variants of the flu. So things like the panel and the amount of PPE and the way in which we're using it, that will all stay. So I, I definitely see many applications remaining to help keep people well and safe. Um, fortunately, we became designated as a vaccinator and earlier this week began vaccinating ourselves, our, our residents um, and staff. So there are a lot of positives that have come out of this that we will continue to utilize. Certainly the technology has been you know, very helpful, uh, whether it be board meetings, department meetings, and actually I'm finding that overall attendance is better because it's yeah. easier for folks to dial in than before, than encourage everyone, can you make it to the meeting? Can you come in? Can you come in? And now folks can easily dial in. So it's been helpful. Uh, it's different. We've all you know, embracing it as best we can. But I think a lot of that is going to stay. Yeah. Certainly the videos for residents and families. Yeah. The other thing, Terry, I don't want to forget to mention is that we have an update every day for a year now, every day on our website, that's for families only. That's right. it, it, it has the data. It has anything that's new. It's not always positive, but it's anything that's new. Certainly the positive things we get out there. And if you were to look on the Gerwin website, uh, gerwin.org, you would see um, articles that we've written uh, or other media opportunities we've had, policies, procedures, state mandates, we put it all out there. So if anyone needed to learn about what we've been through, what facilities are going through, it's all very much available and out there. It's we do our best we can with families. It's not, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that's one of the keys through this, Stuart, that we've heard from other CEOs is a communication is absolutely the key. Even sometimes when we're not sure what is going to happen, it's important to communicate, right? We, right. And, and you know, there are times we struggle. We feel that we're communicating well and we're communicating daily and we're offering a lot out there. And then some may say you're not communicating enough or you're not sharing something. Um, so one thing I've certainly learned as an executive in this business the past year, um, you can't get everything right. You have to make decisions. You know, it's interesting. The pandemic is different in that when we made decisions before in crises, you kind of know what to do, your right. knowledge, your experience, you know, you know that you need a, a room for the media, or you know you need a triage room, or you know you need a, to call staff in to handle a certain function. That really went out the window here with this. Every time we thought we were making a right decision, you know, it would create some disturbance, some upset. But now looking back a year later, I don't regret anything we've done. I really believe we've done the best we can to keep everybody healthy, safe, communicated with engaged as best anyone could. Yeah. And you know what, what you sound like you also did well is you are a visionary, right? So you anticipated as best possible what was coming down the pike so that you could get the PPE and you could get the shields and things like that. So, so good for you, but absolutely. We are in uncharted territory. So many people have said to me, and I felt the same way that I've never, ever been in a situation where I've said to myself so many times, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how this will go, or I'm not sure what the next step is. But you know what? That's been a humbling experience. I'm sure you felt the same way. 
And we have a lot of friends, a lot of support. We have trade associations that represent us. And those trade association calls have really turned into uh, each of us having our own airtime to talk about what are we going through or how are you handling the visitation? How are you responding to the new mandate? And, and we share information with each other. And it's every day, it's all day. So it's healthy. We try to stick together. Um, there's something comforting that we're all going through the same thing, no matter how difficult it is. We try to hold each other up. Um, so there's a great collegial feel amongst all of us. We just wish this would pass and we can get on to our, our yeah. usual activity. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things I hope does not go away is that collaborative effort. Same with us. We're involved in a lot of trade organizations and it has helped us out tremendously to hear what they're doing, whether they're in Seattle or, you know, New York. So it's a good. The only, the only, the only challenge I find is that with in developing new relationships, it's a little bit more challenging. Right. The typical, you know, meeting uh, after hours um, and that networking, it's not quite the same but yet there are positives that are coming as a result of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about this telehealth initiative that um, I don't know if it started before COVID or it started during COVID, but it's certainly one thing that has helped. It sounds like it's helped you out through COVID, right? The telehealth initiative. Yes. So we were embracing telehealth previously uh, through our certified home health agency, one of our home health agencies, our professional home care agency. Um, the problem traditionally up to last year has been that telehealth has not been adequately funded. Um, and opportunities for billing really just haven't quite been there. So it's, it's really held back that usage. Now that it became clear that there's so much we can do with people in the home and keep them safe at home, rather than bring them out for services, now we can monitor them remotely. So that's been very well embraced by government at all levels. And so there's opportunity for funding. There's opportunities to bill for the services provided. There are grant opportunities out there. I mean, we didn't see that a year ago. So we have a foundation or development department here at Gerwin, and that department has changed their mode of, of operating where now they're doing grant work and grant focused work. Um, and it's, you know, it's working to our advantage. Now we do cardiac monitoring on cell phones. It's amazing what can be done now and instantaneous results. I saw a demonstration of this in our assisted living facility and it's remarkable what we can do. So then um, demand is growing. So we, we just see this as a future uh, and now it's getting the attention it needed to receive. Yeah. So does that, by the way, does that include also the administration of um, some sort of medication remotely or, or it's not? It's a telehealth in, in terms of having an appointment? So there are many types of telehealth initiatives where electronic monitoring is helpful. Uh, you know, some uh, companies focus on medication management or medication reminders or appointment reminders. Um, we've relied on the monitoring as I'm talking about, right. you know, like, like for example, cardiac and getting test results data uh, in lifetime when we treat uh, residents in the home or in our assisted living facility. We first partnered with Stony Brook on this. Right. Uh, we enjoy a warm relationship with Stony Brook uh, and they've been helpful and using Bluetooth technology 
to put through a number of these enhancements. We've had grants from the Alzheimer's Federation of America and United Hospital Fund to, to support all of this. We have a team who works specifically on these initiatives. That's great. That's great. So do you see that continuing in the future? You said you see a, definitely see a future for it somehow. Absolutely. Telehealth could never make up, if we were talking about reimbursement and the impact we've all had, telehealth could never make up for losses and loss of cases and all of the business that was important to us for our livelihood. Um, but I'm one who believes strongly you have to embrace the opportunities that exist. Yeah. And uh, now it's a viable opportunity um, because as we procure one grant and do one positive thing for patients in our program, all of a sudden another opportunity presents. And we're now yeah. reaching people at home uh, who may otherwise would not be getting those services or have to go out and put themselves at risk by going out. Definitely. So, I mean, you know, a portion of this program has been dedicated to helping other CEOs do exactly what you spoke about before, Stuart, is understand that we're in this together. We're struggling through it together. But talking about, you know, what you feel you did, how'd you get through it as a leader? What are some of the things that you did to get you through it? I mean, I'm sure you had some pretty dark days as I did, right? And I knew I knew very early on this was not going to be the usual disaster that lasts a couple of days. Right. Um, and, and I sensed that. So early on, I looked at myself, knowing the amount of responsibility for the whole organization and worried about everyone's livelihood, the residents, families, and certain, of course, our staff. Um, I felt it was going to be very important for all of us to try to take care of ourselves and that started, I felt, with me as, as an example. And I said to my executive team, uh, it starts at the top. We have to encourage everyone. They can't be here every day. Everyone is so hardworking. You can't do this every day and a year later not have taken a day off. It's just not going to work. So I led by example. And I said, I am going to find my day per week that works. And I'm going to do that. And almost every week for the past, I don't know, uh, 13 months or so, I've not had, I've had a day I'm not in the office. By the way, some of those days have been the darkest days I've ever had. And pedal to metal from morning till night with more aggravation and all through weekends. Look, it's what we do. Um, but there's something knowing that I'm not going to be in the office and yeah. I can somehow maybe get some fresh air and decompress a little bit. And I have tried to instill that very strongly in my team. Not everyone embraces that. Everyone works differently. It has worked for me. So I've been very self-aware in importance of doing that because, yeah. you know, if you don't take care of yourself, who will? Right, right. I mean, almost like a mental health day. Absolutely. I mean, I also found that just getting out in the fresh air, which was difficult to do in the winter, but certainly in the nicer weather made a very large difference. Very, very large difference. I've always been active, but now I'm a regular hiker and biker and it makes a difference. So even on those dark days, if I'm off, I still will somehow figure out and find that time that I'll go for that two mile hike, whatever it may be, uh, because it will, it will be helpful. It's, yeah. it, it is healthier than doing this 24 seven in the office. Right. Yeah. So we only have about two minutes left. See that? because we had that conversation. So um, leave us with a thought, a thought of, 
how you, what you feel about the future and certainly how you feel about the future there. I'm concerned about some of the challenges ahead, no question. Um, funding and what that will look like. There has been a shift in, uh, in the business in, uh, in nursing homes. You know, we're uh, a successful, prominent nonprofit, I'm proud to say. Uh, there are fewer of us than there were before. And I'm just worried about what the future of the industry is going to look like. Um, reimbursement has never been adequate for long-term care. And I'm a large advocate through our associations. I'm on the boards of all of our trade associations to push for appropriate funding for us. Thankfully, we've had a lot of federal state support over the past year that's allowed us to keep going, but we need, we need more support. Certainly um, aging population regardless, that need for technology will be great. Um, that will need to be there you know, for the future. Well, thank and, you. And, and also, I just want to just maybe add, um, you know, one of the challenges is recruitment of staff. Yeah. We're all very pressed. The reputational issues may have some impact on what staff decide to do with their lives and their careers. Many people have already begun to make these changes at all levels. So um, that's a concern that we have, you know, enough resources in home care agencies, in adult programs, when they reopen, in the nursing home, to take care of people. And right now, it's a challenge that we all are facing. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely, we're seeing the two biggest challenges just in general on Long Island have been access to capital, as you said, funding, where is it coming from? Is New York State understanding really what we need and why we need it? And and cer certainly creating or continuing to create a very viable talent pool. So, you know, it sounds like you're doing so much well, really, Stuart, I really, hats off to you. You know, my parents are 86 and 87 years old and hats off because it's so important in our later years in particular to give people the dignity and the respect that they deserve. And I know you guys do a great job over there. It's really been delightful highlighting you and Gerwin, a lot of things we didn't know. I know we'll see you in the future and good luck and stay healthy. Thank you. One last thing. Yesterday we celebrated being uh, healthcare heroes through Long Island Business News. Oh, great. So um, we're very thrilled and proud of our staff because it's really our staff that does this every day. They never get enough, enough credit. So I'd like to close on that. Thank you of our staff and thankful, uh, thankful of you and HIA. Oh, well, thank you. And you know what? One more time before we close, just give everybody your website so they know how to get in touch with you. Sure. www.gerwin.org. And Gerwin is G-U-R-W-I-N. All right. Perfect. Thanks so much, Stuart. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Terry. Bye now. Business Steps Up is a production of HIALI, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call us at 631-543-5355 or log on to hia-li.org.